Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Let's get started. There's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about today, but I'm going to really try to stay like I said, intentionally stay focused because I want to get through chapter one today, uh, but I'm not going to do it at the expense of making sure everybody has a firm grasp of what we're talking about. So we have been in the book of Revelation. I think this is either the fourth or fifth week, and I do hope to finish chapter one today, and we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 20, and I'm going to cover a little bit of what we covered last week, just make sure everybody's still on the same page, but if you'll Read with me. I'm going to start in 12. It says, actually, I'm going to start in 11. Actually, I'm going to start in 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is John speaking, of course, from the island of Patmos, having been sent there because um, he wouldn't be silent. He wouldn't be silent about the testimony of God and the Word of God and what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we talked about the importance of that last week. And he said, so in this, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. I need you to focus and pay attention to this, because every word in this description is important. And in the middle of the lamp, or I'm sorry, his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in, the, in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That is the leader of those churches, the pastors as we would identify them now. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so... I'm going to try to do something. There's a reason why I've prayed for focus. Not because my mind's all over the place, but because John, in the Spirit, saw Jesus. Which means he literally saw the glorified Jesus. Just like I'm looking at you right now. I can look at Wendell if I put my glasses on and say, Wendell has a beard and it's got some gray in it and he shaves his head. He's wearing glasses. He's got a red shirt on. I can explain very specifically what Wendell looks like. 
But John, even looking at Jesus, has to use the word like multiple times. Imagine something so magnificent, so beautiful, so overwhelming, that even being witness to it, you don't have the words for it. You have to say, you have to describe it as closely as you can to something that you might understand. And so his, his face was like, his hair was like, his feet were like, all of these things. And John was looking at him. I want you to just imagine something so magnificent that you're trying, that you have to explain it using like terms. This is how big our Jesus is. This is how magnificent our Jesus is. This is the God that loves us so much that he gave himself up for us so that we might be with him for eternity. That we serve a God that is so indescribable through the text that even the one that saw him physically couldn't explain him. That gives me so much peace and so much comfort. And he says, so write a letter. I need you to tell the people what you saw or what you will see. And he said, I want you to write a church to seven churches. I need you to write a letter to seven churches. And I've been asked the question, why these seven churches specifically? There were probably other house churches and different churches around. Why these? So there's no absolute certain reason. The fact of the matter is, geographically, if you came off of Patmos onto the coast, a perfect circle, if you hung a left and made a perfect circle, you would have reached all seven of those cities. So it very well could have been geographical, but I think this is more the case. If you'll read the letters that we're going to go through over the next seven weeks, you're going to find that each one of those churches typifies the modern church. Matter of fact, it typifies the church of all ages. Seven is a perfect represent is a is a number of perfection. Now that doesn't mean that all those churches were perfect. It means that all seven of those churches, in their good and their bad, perfectly represent what is right and what is wrong with God's church right now. And what was wrong with God's church a hundred years ago. And what was right a thousand years ago. It typifies the church. And so it's important that we understand that he's speaking to these seven churches because they are typical. They are perfectly but sadly typical. Does everybody understand that? And then he says not only is he talking to these seven churches, but it says that he walks around amongst them. He's standing in the center of them. Can I tell you that's exactly where Jesus is. Jesus is right now at the center of his church. Jesus right now is in the midst of his church. He is in this place. He is any place that declares him as Lord and Savior. It doesn't have to look like a modern church. It doesn't have to look like a church at all. Where people gather, where people proclaim the name of Jesus, whether it be a huge mega church or a church that is faithfully served, with seven members over the last 50 years, Christ walks in the midst of them. This is the God that we serve, that He doesn't care about your number. He doesn't care about how much you give. He doesn't care about how much you serve. He doesn't care about what your building looks like. 
He cares about what your heart looks like. He cares about you. And he cares about you personally. This is the God that we serve. And so here he stands, speaking to his church, holding the angels of those houses in his hand, walking amongst those churches and, and showing himself to them. And so I want to talk to you today about, about that. What this text shows us about Jesus, who he is. But not only who he is, but these, this text defines what he has done and what he continues to do. And that's why I said I, I want you to just really take good notes. And I know some of you have signed up to receive the notes and all of that, and that's fine. But I, I'll tell you, if, I don't know how you, any of you guys have ever seen my notes. This is the actual notes. These are all the notes that I write in the notes. And so you may not get this in the email. You're going to get this in the email if you signed up for that. My whole point is, please pay attention because John does everything he can to explain the magnificence of the God that we serve. And he starts like this. He said, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I've explained those. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. That is Jesus. He said, The Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. I told you I'm going to explain two things, who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. This is what John is doing here. This is what Jesus is showing John, who he is and what he has accomplished for his church. And in this text, verse 13b, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash, Jesus is saying, I am the high priest and the perfect sacrifice for my church. You know, that seems like a stretch to me, except that it's not. His robe extended to his feet, and robes like this were, were worn by kings and prophets. But a, a garment that stretched to the feet with a golden sash across it was reserved for the high priest. And so he is saying, listen, I am, he is a king and a priest, and that his robes reach to his feet, or a king and a prophet, but he is our high priest. And as a high priest, he has accomplished two significant things for us. The first thing that a high, pri a high priest has two responsibilities. And please listen to this. It is to be an intercessor for you and to be the perfect sacrifice for you. A, a, priest in the, a high priest in the Old Testament interceded on behalf of the people to God and offered the sacrifice that pushed their sin forward. We don't serve that sacrificial system anymore. We don't sit under that sacrificial system anymore. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, and so now He is the intercessor and he is the Lamb of God, the perfect, without blemish, sacrifice. Amen? And so I want to talk about that, but I, I, want, to, I want to actually prove this to you in Scripture. He's a high priest, as an intercessor, a mediator between us and God the Father. Jesus came as a man to endure the trials and tribulations of man. 
we could, he did what we weren't able to do. He came so that he might physically suffer our sorrows for us. So that he might understand our sorrows. So that he might receive the burden of humanity. So that he could make true intercession as a high priest for us. So that he could accept our confession. The Bible says that he is the, well it says this, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. It says, therefore, he had to make his brother like, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. You serve a merciful and a faithful high priest. A faithful high priest in that he's accomplished everything he's set to accomplish, and a merciful God who understands what you're dealing with, understands what you're walking through understands the trials and the temptations of your life, understands that all of these things that the world has to offer will come against you and have in fact probably come against you or are currently coming against you or will come against you. It says that he suffered in all things, that he was tempted in all ways, but he overcame them. And because he overcame them in his flesh, we can overcome them too. Y'all need to be celebrating that. Some are all, man, I'm just sinner saved by grace. No, you're saved by grace, who happens to sin from time to time. But that's not the identity of who you are. Jesus Christ came to be our intercessor. He came so that he might mercifully walk according to how you walk. So he might see what you've dealt with. So that he might overcome what you dealt with. And if he overcame it by the power of the Spirit through the flesh, then you can too. Paul is very specific to say this in Romans chapter 8. There's two kinds of people. There's those that walk according to the flesh who are dead and those who walk according to the Spirit who are alive. The church has to get to a place where we realize we serve a God that sits at the right hand of the Father and tells the Father on our behalf, that one belongs to me. That one has been empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in holiness. Not his own righteousness, but the righteousness that I died to give him. This one belongs to me. The enemy can't have him. We spent too much time as a church declaring, Woe and pitiful is me. You're not woeful or pitiful. You are victorious in all things through Christ Jesus. You are a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror in regards to all things spiritual. Are you still going to have trials and tribulations and problems and issues? Yes, but you know what? You know who's bigger than your trials and your tribulations? The one that came here and was made as a brethren so that he might be faithful and merciful to us. Man, that's good. This is the, the work of a high priest. He recognizes that you can't do it yourself. It, <clears throat> So he came, become a merciful and faithful high priest. I'm still in Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. To make propitiation for sins and for sins of the people. Propitiation just means that he, 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 I'm sorry, what did you say? Represents, okay. Essentially, my mind went blank. For sins of the people. He took the place. He took our place, which is what propitiation means. He took our place. For our sins. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might have the hope of eternal life. Thank you. 
For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Church, can we just love the Lord today? Can we say thank you, God, because you loved us enough to die for us, because you loved us enough not just to die for us, but in order to die for us, you had to be born into us, walk around as us, defeat the things that try to defeat us, and because you know those things, because he knows those things, he can sit at the right hand of the Father and say, like I said, this one belongs to me. And he sealed you with his spirit to walk in that. I don't spend a lot of time here, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to understand that the masterful creator of the universe, the thing that has created everything beautiful in your life, loves you enough to die for you, to be the second thing that the high priest is, which is the, the sacrifice for you, the perfect sacrifice for you. The Bible is very explicit to say that this sacrifice is for all times. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is able to save forever. Everybody say forever. 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 Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you hear that? God always lives to make intercession for for us. Can I can I get a, can I give you just a profound simple Lebanese truth? We are nothing. We have nothing. And we will be nothing. Without Jesus interceding for us and making a sacrifice for us. I can't imagine living in a world as an atheist or an agnostic with no hope beyond the world that we live in. How do you get up in the day and live through the day and drudge through the day just to do it again tomorrow, just to do it again tomorrow with no expectation that you're ever going to be, that you're ever going to see an eternity? But I tell you, you will see an eternity because we serve a high priest. We serve a high priest that intercedes for us, that loves us, that has made a perfect sacrifice for us. Perfect sacrifice because he's perfect in everything that he does. There is no imperfection in him at all. Pastor Jim, you're just rambling. I'm not rambling, man. I'm just using the words I know to use. I'm just, Jesus is like a thing I can't understand. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend the rest of my days trying. This is the commitment we make. God poured himself out, poured his wrath and his perfect judgment out on Jesus. How dare we, how dare we do anything other than completely turn ourselves over to him? To say, I, will, I belong to Jesus, I proclaim Christ as my Lord and Savior. And to not completely turn yourself over is to lie and despise the one who created you. I can't imagine the horror of that at some point in our future.
but he's a perfect sacrifice. His sacrifice was perfect because it accomplished what the Old Testament's high, what the Old Testament high priest couldn't accomplish. Hebrews chapter 10 reads like this. Not all of it. 10, 1 through 9. Reads like this. For the law, since I was only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, say never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Only Jesus can make us perfect because only Jesus could do what the Old Testament uh, high priest couldn't do. Verse 2 and 4 say this, Otherwise they would not be, have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having also been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. And so he's saying, listen, the Old Testament prophets or the Old Testament priests could offer the sacrifice, but you know what it couldn't do? It couldn't relieve you of your guilt. It couldn't cause you to be quiet quiet in your consciousness. Only the blood of Jesus, only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus is capable of doing that. Because we have a hope in the fact and the truth that when we ask forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive us. And when he says he forgives us, it's exactly what he does. He forgives us and then forgets about that sin. I say this every chance that I get from the pulpit. The Bible is very explicit to say when you ask for forgiveness, he forgets that sin. He throws it into the sea. He removes it as far as from the east is to the west. He places it behind himself according to the word of God. And so many of us go back to, the, to God, to the throne room again and again and again, asking for forgiveness for the same sin. And all you're doing is reminding something of God he forgot already. He's looking at you and wondering, why, what are you talking about? Why are you bringing this up? This is covered in the blood of Jesus. This is, this is removed by the blood of Jesus. I'm not even sure what you're, what you're talking about. Only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus can do that for us. We should be excited. I'm excited about that because my past is so jacked up. I'm excited about that because my memory isn't lost. I'm excited about that because God still holds me in his righteous right hand because when I say, God, forgive me for that, I can have confidence to know that he has forgiven me for that. That Jesus stands and says he's asked forgiveness for that is my intercessor. And said, so would you please forget that sin? Would you forget that sin? And by the blood that I have shed, wash it completely away. Don't cover it. The blood of Jesus Christ doesn't cover your sin. It chisels it out like as if it were written in a stone before and completely removes it. You are no longer who you were. Listen to me. Because Jesus Christ is your high priest. You are no longer who you were. You are a new creature, a new creation. That river doesn't even flow in the same direction anymore. And I, for one, am grateful for that. Because my river was jacked. All dirty and muddy and gross. And can't talk about it right now because we're on camera. But let me tell you, Jesus forgot about it, so I'm just going to move on. But it couldn't remove guilt of sin. Verse 8 tells us this. After saying sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, have you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. So he's saying our sacrifice, the sacrifice that the Old Testament priests offered, couldn't even please God. You know what pleased God? 
according to Isaiah 53, it pleased God to crush him. Our perfect sacrifice. Isaiah was talking about Jesus. It pleased God to crush him. You know why it pleased God to crush him? Because now you can have your rightful place with him, which is how he created you, to have fellowship with him, to not be removed from him. All of this because our high priest loves us. Verse 9, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. The Old Testament priest couldn't volunteer to sacrifice himself because his sacrifice would have been imperfect. Because he had a blood, he had a sin nature that Jesus didn't have. So he was the high priest. He is the high priest. He is the perfect intercessor. He is the perfect sacrifice. In verse 14b in Revelation, it says, And his head was, and his hair were white like wool, like snow. This is the perfection we were talking about. The second half of this verse says, And his eyes were like a flame of fire. So not only was he a perfect high priest to us, not only is he a perfect high priest to us, but he is all-seeing and all-knowing over his church. Remember I told you, Jesus walks around in the midst of his church. We sang a, well, no, we didn't sing a song. I, I talked about a verse last week. Um, where God called himself a consuming fire. The consuming fire of God knows you. The consuming fire of God sees you. Now that ought to freak us out a little bit. You're thinking, nah, he doesn't know about that. I got this secret sin. Matter of fact, I'm not even praying right now because I'm afraid if I bring it up, he'll know. He knows already. Let me ask you all a question. Have any of you guys ever avoided prayer because you knew if you started praying you were going to be answerable to God for what you were praying about? So you just avoided prayer? I have. Like, you know what? I still feel too guilty about that. I can't go to God about that yet. You know how foolish that is? Because the eye of God sees that. There's nothing that gets by him. He's in all places at all times. Hide your secret sin if you want to. It's only secret to you. It's not secret to God, but if you'll trust him with it, you'll trust your perfect high priest with it. You know what he'll do? He'll consume that out of you. He will cut that out of you. He will burn that out of you. Is that going to be comfortable? No. But I'd rather be uncomfortable in my flesh than dead in my spirit. And so he is the all-knowing, the all-seeing over the church. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. The, the quicker we realize that, the, that, the, that God of the universe sees us, the more we can count on the promise of this verse. 
The thing that makes us fear and tremble is the fact that he goes to and fro. The thing that should please us is that he's looking for you so that he may strongly support those whose heart completely are his. Give your heart to the Lord and then leave it there. So many of us want to pick it up and carry it. Stop. Let God burn that sin out of you. He wants to. Jesus is like a flame of fire. His eyes are like a flame of fire. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means other than I know it's purifying. Other than I can't stand in his presence and be anything but holy. It means I can't stand in his presence and carry anything but his righteousness or his judgment. And I'd rather carry his righteousness than his judgment. Which is the next thing. Verse 15. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. His feet were like burnished bronze. It means he has perfect judgment and authority over his church. The feet represented in old to olden times the authority of a king because their throne would be high and lifted up so that the people that they had authority over would be under them. It's the reason why the enemies of God are under the feet of Jesus because he has authority over them. His authority is perfect. His authority is capable. His authority and his judgment is perfect, which is incredible, but at the same time frightening. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but at the same time, at some point, we will be judged for what we have done. The question is, are you going to face that judgment at the great white throne of judgment or at the Bema seat of Christ, which we're going to talk about both of those things. A lot of Christians don't even know there's two different judgments. There's a judgment for the believer and there's a judgment for the unbeliever. Which, believe, which, which judgment are you going to undertake? Which one are you going to sit at? Are you willing to sit at the feet of God and explain to Him who you are and Him look at you and say anything other than well done, good and faithful servant? I'm not. This is my life's goal. This is my, my life's vision. Is to hear those words because I know that His authority is absolute. He is the only one perfectly qualified to judge me. He's the only one perfectly qualified to judge you, and He will. Jesus is the protection regarding the church. In verse 16, He calls it, it says that a two-edged sword came out of His mouth. The two-edged sword is used to defend the church from His external threats. You know, wait a minute, the, the Bible says that the, the Word of God is a double-edged sword. Anything that God says is the Word of God. I praise God that we serve a king who is so mighty, so capable, that the very sound of his voice is a double-edged sword to anyone that would stand opposed to His will. Especially knowing that I stand under His protection as a son and an heir. 
this is the God that we serve. And I know I've done a probably a horrible job explaining him to you. But even John, who saw him, felt inadequate too, or he wouldn't have used like verbiage. Whatever God has revealed himself to you as, or not whatever, but however God has revealed himself to you today, yesterday, the day before that, there's only one correct response. And that's the same response that John had. That is, I fell at my feet. I fell at his feet like a dead man. If you hear, if you've ever seen, if you've ever had a revelation of Jesus Christ in this capacity or any other, your only response, the only responsible response, the only correct response is to fall at your feet like a dead man and worship him and declare about him what he declared about himself, that he is the first and the last. He is the living one. He was dead, but is now alive forevermore. And he has the death, the keys to death and Hades. And he's not giving them up. So what do you know of Jesus? The question is, what do you do with this glorified Jesus? How do we walk in humility and fear, acceptance and obedience, according to 17 through 20, which is John's response? Our responsibility to Jesus is to be humble, to be fearful, to accept him for who he is and to be obedient as John was obedient. That's my prayer for you today.